Today's scripture is Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 to 24. It's in page 597 in Pew Bible. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise men boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declare the Lord. In my senior year of high school, we had a sociology class that I took, and in it, my teacher asked different members of the class to share about their religion. We had Muslims, we had Hindus, and at that time, I was uh, about a two-and-a-half-year-old Christian, baby Christian. Um, I haven't really read the whole Bible, just a few books. My understanding of the gospel was very murky. My character was questionable. So I was the perfect candidate to speak on behalf of all Christians and represent Christianity to that class. And on the week of my, um, my you know, teaching about what Christianity is all about, um, I was floored and surprised because one of the Hindus in the class raised their hand and asked me, he said, Sam, what is God? She was not trying to get me or catch me. She was simply asking very reasonably, because I kept using the word God, God, God. She's like, what's God? And it threw me off because I thought God was pretty self-evident. You know, like the God of the Bible. And she's like, no, I, I don't know the God of the Bible. That's why you're doing this presentation. And I struggled to give her a clear answer. My understanding of Christianity at that time, at 17 years old, was almost ex- exclusively experiential. It was very feeling-oriented. And so her question threw me off because I did not have clear categories or words to explain what God was like or who God was. And it was a very slow process to help me understand that most people, you ask, do you believe in God? That is not a very good question because what God are you talking about? And what is this God like? See, this was very common because I grew up in a very hyper-Pentecostal background. And so we would say stuff like this, you don't need theology, you just need Jesus. And that is a problematic statement and mindset because you are assuming that you can disconnect Jesus from theology because theology is simply the study of what God is like. Ology, theos, God, you're just studying what God is like. So the moment you go into the realm of what is Jesus like, you're actually doing theology. The moment you ask, what is Jesus like? Because if you say, well, which Jesus are you talking about, Sam, that you have a relationship with? Uh, Well, then you have to ask yourself, are we talking about the Mormon Jesus? Are we talking about the Jehovah's Witness Jesus? Are we talking about the social justice Jesus? The fundamentalist Jesus? The prosperity gospel Jesus? The new age Jesus? The patriotic Jesus who wakes up and salutes the American flag? Which Jesus are we talking about? So the moment you ask yourself, what is Jesus like? What is God like? You are actually doing theology. 
Some of you say, well, that's all fine and good for you, Sam, but my relationship with God is deeply personal and spiritual. Don't stuff it up with all this theologizing and academic language theology. But you must know that there is no question if you are going to engage in theology. You will, I do, we all do. Our kids do. Everybody does. All of us are constantly coming up with ideas and assumptions about what God is like. His nature, what he requires of us, how to relate with him or not relate with him. All of us do it. Dr. Nathan Finn puts it this way. It's on the screen. There's going to be a lot of slides today. So if you're a note taker, this is, this is your week. You're going to love it. All right? And there's going to be points like four points. You're going to love it. We don't normally do this. But this is going to happen today, all right? So this is what Nathan Finn says. He said this. The fact is everybody is a theologian. I was going to do that thing where you like, you know, preachers do this. It's kind of manipulative. You're like, raise your hand this. And like, everyone's wrong. They should raise their hand. I was going to say, raise your hand if you're a theologian. And everybody should raise their hand. And then I was be like, actually, all of you should and get you. But I didn't do that, all right? The fact is, everyone is a theologian. Everybody thinks about God on some level, which is what it means to do theology, The only question is whether you are a good theologian or a bad theologian. Good theologians think rightly about God and live rightly before God. And there's been a divorce in the church. It's been going on for a while. You have the charismatics on one side, my heritage, who experience God. They feel God. They've encountered God. And then on the other hand, you got the Bible people who know a lot about God. They know the right theological terms and all that stuff. And there's been a divorce where the thinking right about God and the feeling and knowing and encountering God have been divorced. And the Bible does not have that divorce. The Bible brings these together. Right knowledge of God and right feeling and living in light of that God. The Bible has no category of merely academically knowing the right answer or merely feeling something, but you're not really sure who this person you're feeling and experiencing. The Bible rejects both of those extremes. So we are going to go through a six-part series on encountering God, the biblical God, the true God. And then we're going to go back into 1 Corinthians. So this is something we don't always do, but we're going to be going through a topical series, six weeks, on who God is, encountering God. Really, really excited about the series. Then we're going to get into the, book of, the letter of 1 Corinthians. Why, though, is it essential for everyone to know God? Why is this essential? I shouldn't just assume you think it's essential. Here are two reasons why pursuing God is essential. Well, number one, it directs your entire life. Let me share a very famous quote by A.W. Tozer. Some of you are familiar with it. It says this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most important fact about any man or woman is not that he or she at any given time may say or do, but what he or she in their deepest heart conceives God to be like. We all tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Always the most revealing thing about God The church is her idea of God. So your theology or your understanding of God at at a heart level is the most important matter in your life. Based on what you actually believe about God will dictate literally everything about your life. 
Your life is the direct response of what you actually believe God to be like. Your devotion or lack of devotion, your obedience or lack of obedience, your worship or lack of worship. For example, if I were to creepily be able to like see inside of your soul, okay, I I don't have that power, okay? Pastors don't have that power, by the way, okay? But if I stare at you long enough while I preach, you may think I do. (laughs) If I could see inside of your heart what you actually believe God to be like, and I could just look at your life, I would be able to say stuff like, Oh, that makes sense. It it, it makes sense they do that or don't do that because of the way they think God to be like. If I were to be actually able to see your heart and what you think God to be like, every single detail of your life would make sense. How you spend your time, your money, your energy, your affections, your hobbies, everything is an overflow of your direct understanding of what God to actually be like, the way you relate with them, the way you relate with people. If you're a forgiving person, if you're a merciful person or a wrathful person, every single thing connects back to the true understanding of God is now, not just intellectually, but at a heart level, what your heart actually believes to be God, God to be like. Our life including me, is an exact overflow of what we actually believed God to be like. And that is why understanding and being real about what you actually think God is like is one of the most necessary steps if you ever want to see transformation in your life. You can spend your whole life trying to behavior manage your life away, but if you don't get to the root cause of how you believe God to be like and how you relate with him, you won't get anything ultimately done in the long term. So the first reason to know God rightly is that your understanding of God will direct every aspect of your life. Number two, to know God is to truly know yourself. Our culture is obsessed with being true to yourself, finding your truth, discovering who you really are. And in one sense, in just one sense, that's actually right. We ought to. We're just going about it in all the wrong ways. If you want to know the purpose of invention, you go to the who. The inventor. Pete, it's invention, inventor. Okay? If you want to know the purpose of a created being, creation, you go to the? Inventor. Ah! I set you up for that. Right? And you and I were created, no matter how hard we search, no matter how many different places or gurus or books you read or therapists you visit, you will never truly know your purpose or your identity unless you go to the one whom you were created by. That's where the answer is, not in you, but in him. And one of the purposes of all mankind is to reflect God's nature. Remember in, the, in Genesis, we just learned We were created in his image, in his likeness. You're supposed to represent and reflect what God is like. And therefore, the more you know God and understand him, the better you will understand yourself because you were made to image him. The more you know God, the more you learn who you truly are, who you were made to be. Not all the stuff that's pushed by your parents or your culture or the world or your own self, but actually who truly you are at the core of who God called you to be. If you do not know God intimately and truly, you won't actually know yourself. And yet, the pursuit of knowing God has some significant obstacles. There are a lot of reasons why God is the most misunderstood being in all the universe. And if you want to know God truly, you need to understand these obstacles and jump over them. Here are four difficulties of knowing God. 
For those note takers, I told you this would be your dream. This is it. Four difficulties of knowing God. Number one, God is incomprehensible. What do I mean by that? Well, listen to Romans chapter 11, verse 33 through 34 in the NLT. Oh, and this is right after Romans 9, well, 8 through 10. He's, Paul is responding. He says, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? The psalmist also says something a little differently. Psalm 145.3, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. These passages and many more are what professional theologians, note I said professional because we're all theologians. You're either a good one or a bad one. We're all theologians. Professional theologians though coined this term, the incomprehensibility of God, big term, incomprehensibility of God. However, incomprehensible does not mean that we cannot know anything true about God, but rather our knowledge of God is always going to be limited at some level. You can truly know God without fully knowing God, but we can never, not in heaven, even in heaven, in eternity, know him fully. We get to spend eternity marvelously learning more and more facets of how beautiful and how great he is. And although this can be difficult to comprehend, it actually makes logical sense. Look at Isaiah 56, 5. With whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? We are talking about a being who has no equal and is outside our normal categories. So it only logically makes sense that he's going to be operating at a different plane that he wouldn't be operating perfectly like we would imagine him to operate out of. See, the pursuit of knowing God or someone that you can't get to the bottom of can be off-putting though, right? And also humbling. And this is one of the greatest obstacles to know God. Number two, knowing God leads to humility. Truly knowing God, not the God of our own image, but the biblical God, the incomprehensible God is deeply humbling. I'm going to quote J.I. Packer from his book, Knowing God, one of the most influential books written in the last hundred years. And he says this, speaking about knowing God, it is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Other subjects we can compass and grapple with, and, and then we feel a kind of self-content and go away with the thought, behold, I am wise. But no subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. See, we all tend to feel uncomfortable when we can't fully grasp something, right? Like this happens all the time with my kids. I'll tell them what we're doing without all the details and they're like, that's not enough, Sam, Dad. They don't say Sam. <laughs> Tell me more. I have to understand everything before I trust you, Dad, right? And that's for all of us here. We, we want to understand the depths of something, and if we don't, we feel uncomfortable with that tension. And thus, it's tempting for us to strip God down or domesticate him and remove all of his mystery in order to alleviate this tension we feel in our heart and mind. We want a God that we can kind of 
mold and grapple with and get our minds around. And if, if there's any mystery, if there's any tension there, it's uncomfortable and we don't like that tension. Number three, another hurdle into knowing God truly is our limitations. John Calvin once said, the finite cannot grasp the infinite. From the beginning, you and I have a problem. We are finite creatures trying to comprehend an infinite creator. Consider this. For you science geeks out there, you're going to love this. All right? Check this out. We are, the earth is about 3.5 times, million times larger than a human, than you. 3.5 million. The solar system is about 36 billion times larger than the earth. And the universe is 1.9 times 10 to the 22nd power bigger than the earth. And that universe was created with just the word of God. He just spoke it. What kind of mind are we dealing with here that could comprehend everything from sunsets to animals to people to everything in between and could comprehend it and speak it into existence like that like it's nothing. Easy. This is the kind of God we're talking about. You and I are woefully limited, infallible. We're deeply flawed. And you and I, can you imagine how impossible it is to grapple and grasp the height and the depth and the width and length of who God is? But not just our mental capacities are limited. We also have limitations of our hearts, which leads to the most difficult hurdle you and I have to knowing the true God. Number four, our sin and baggage. All of you here, including myself, especially me, are born pre-bent with a desire to shape God into our own desires and image. You can't escape it. How often do you hear this sort of thing? I like to think of God as... Packer says this, we know from experience how often remarks of this kind, I like to think of God like, serve as the prelude to a denial of something that the Bible tells us about God. It needs to be said with the greatest possible emphasis that those who hold themselves free to think of God as they like are breaking the second commandment, which is no idols. At best, they can only think of God in the image of man as an ideal man, perhaps, or a superman, but God is not any sort of man. We were made in his image, but we must not think of him as existing in ours. Woo, Packer's fire, isn't he? Don't you want to just read that book? In Romans chapter one, the apostle Paul shows how apart from Christ, a divine intervention, people shape God how they will. Their hearts are darkened and foolish and suppress the truth. All of us here are guilty of suppressing the truth, forming and fashioning God how we see fit, how we want him to be. So these are four significant hurdles, all of you and all of me, what does that mean? All of us have in knowing God truly. And you may feel pretty deflated by hearing that, if you heard what I just said. Well, Sam, what's the point, you may ask? Why are we doing a series on encountering God when you say it's so Hard to know him. How can anyone know God? Here, here's the good news. Here's the good news. God, at great pains to himself, has removed every obstacle so that you can actually know him. That's the great news. He's gone to great lengths so that you would know him. 
God has made himself known through Jesus. God could actually just separate himself from us and not be known, obscure us himself from us, hide from us, and yet, instead of doing that, he goes to the absurd, insane step of actually entering into our reality, taking on flesh. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel. Would you say this out loud? Which means God with us. See, God's not just like, hey, study me from afar, but actually I'm gonna come down, condescend, incarnate, and put on flesh so that you can know me intimately. Hebrews chapter one, one through three says this. In the past, God spoke, ha, that's short. Okay, small. God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God. God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So how can you know God, truly know God? You know Jesus. Jesus is the exact representation of God as the son, because sons are like their fathers, good fathers. He's the exact representation as the co-creator, eternal being. But to know this God, you have another obstacle. You have to be reconciled with this God. You don't want to know this God when you're not reconciled with this God. You don't want to be an enemy of this kind of God. And all of us here, including me, are guilty of idolatry. All of us here at time, one time or another or currently right now have tried to shape God in our own image, put God in our own boxes, tell him what he ought to be and no more or no less. And all of us are guilty of this great offense. And yet God, being love, which is gonna come in a few weeks, God is love, and merciful, has made a way for all of us to have peace with God through Jesus. And that is available for everyone and everyone, anyone and everybody. Let me, let me share, if you guys on the slides, I think my sons on the slides, can find Hebrews chapter 8, verse 11. I think this is better put here. Whoa! Yeah, son. <clears throat> this is part of the new covenant. And they shall not teach each one of his neighbor anymore. And each one of his brothers saying, know the Lord. Why? For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. One of the great news of the gospel is that through Jesus, he is made accessible himself for every person from all peoples and all tribes and tongues and ethnicities and cultural backgrounds to know God from the least to the greatest. Not just some, not the royals, not the smart or the beautiful. Every single person has access to know God intimately. Isn't that good news? But to know this God in that way, you have to lay down your subconscious commitment to idolatry, to telling God he needs to be what he needs to be in your eyes. You have to reject the control of trying to be your own God, reject the, the hammer and chisel in your hands to shape God in your own image. You have to let it go. And let God be God and surrender him, receive his love. Anyone here can have that kind of relationship, intimate relationship with the true God if you want him. And if you want him and you're willing to let go of your control, willing to let go of your hammer and chisel, 
I'd love to pray with you and any of our members would love to pray with you to know him. Now let's learn a little bit more about ways God is known. God is knowable. God is known both through two kinds of revelation, special and general. What is revelation? That's a word, and when you think revelation, you may think of the book of revelation. But revelation is this, the disclosing of some form of truth or knowledge through a medium. Okay, that may not help at all. Why'd you give that definition? Well, let me, let me explain this. When it comes to God, there's general and special revelation. General revelation is called general because it's available to everyone, generally. We see this in Romans chapter one again, Romans 1.19. I'm gonna just fly through this, but what may be known about God is plain to them. So this is speaking about all people because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. This general revelation is about God's existence, some of his character, and a sense of general right and wrong, having a conscience. It's given to all people in all places and all times. It is seen through nature, God's historical works, and an inner sense that God has placed in everyone. And yet there are limitations to this revelation, isn't there? <clears throat> Dr. Michael Bird says it this way. How is God known to us? The Christian tradition has maintained that God is transcendent, invisible, hidden, and completely other. We cannot reach him or beseech him, nor can we adore him or implore him without God first introducing himself to us. Knowledge of his person and plan cannot be arrived at by mere deduction or gut intuition. If we are to have knowledge of God, we are entirely dependent on God making himself known to us. It's almost like an author of a story. You would not have any clue what the author was like unless the author wrote himself into the story, him or herself in the story, or sent a message to the people in the story. And that is what is true of what God has done for us. He's wrote himself in the story. He's made himself available through Jesus, the ultimate manifestation of special revelation, and God's word. So we need God to reveal himself to us through his word and through his son. And so that's the great news. God is knowable. Despite all the stuff I said, he is knowable. You can know God truly, not fully, but truly. And think about this. It is theoretically possible for God to exist and not be knowable, right? Like God could be a jerk and just be like, I don't want you to know me. I know your, I know your junk. I know who you are. I don't want you to know me, right? Some of you guys are like, I look around this room. I don't want some of you to know me. God could have that attitude. God could theoretically be unknowable and yet this is not true of our God. He's knowable and he wants us to know him. And here's the great invitation of knowing the incomprehensible God. James chapter four, verse would you read this out loud carefully because my voice is about to go. Read this with me. Draw near. Can you say that one more time? One more time. Draw near. As one of my favorite passages, as many of you guys know, it changed my life. God has invited us to know him more. And listen, the more you want of him, the more you can have. Every single person here has limitations to how much they'll let you know them, right? Like some of you literally are like, I don't want any of you in here to know me. Don't even try. 
And that is not the case of our God. He says, as much as you want of me, you can have of me. You take a step towards me, I take a step towards you. And the beautiful thing that James 4, 8 in isolation doesn't show is that God already took the big step. He's already invited. He's already laid the table out for you. I'm knocking at the door. If you open the door, you can have it and feast with me. I mean, what, what, I mean, there's not, there's a lot of good verses in the Bible, but this is up there. Because it literally could say some people can draw near to God. Those who have the right background, those who have the right ethnicity, those who have enough money, or those who didn't do too many bad things can draw near to God, but everyone else is excluded, can know God, but not only so much, every one of us can draw near to God, and he will draw near to us. This is a beautiful thing. So we need special revelation so that we can actually know God through his word and through Christ. But there are some essentials that we must have in order to know God intimately, okay? So here's five essentials. Two of them are attitudes of the heart and three are practical. Number one, humility. We must humble ourselves to actually know God Resist the desire to control God, to make him what we want him to be, to mold him in our image. You need humility, first of all. Number two, we need wholehearted commitment. Would you read this out loud? Jeremiah chapter 29. Then you will call upon me. Some of your heart, right? No, with all of your heart. All of us here who have any discernment can sense when somebody wants to be near to us for ulterior motives. You know when someone actually wants you to know you versus using you. And so it is, and even more so with God. He knows when we want him for himself or we're just using him to get what we want He will not be found unless you're seeking him with your whole hearts. He will hide himself like a lover. We must seek him with all of our hearts. Number three, be part of an integrated church family. Now we're going to three practicals. Be part of an integrated church family. When you are intimately part of a church family, not attending, but actually part of a church family, you are surrounded by people who know God, who manifest God in their lifestyle in ways far different from you, and also more accurately than you. And that is a natural check for us and a beauty for us. As you get around people who know God intimately, you start to catch what they have. You start to know God like they know God. You hear someone pray, you're like, I want to pray like that. My prayers are so impersonal. How do you know God like that? Teach me how do you pray. How do you know God like that? There's just this beautiful thing as you surround yourself with other Christians who are pursuing knowing God, the true biblical God intimately, and it starts to, starts to shape you. Also, the, in the New Testament, the Lord has given the church elders who hopefully are rightfully handling God's truth, and this is also a natural check as we can all fall into error, and that's why you need to know your Bible so you can check me and other pastors if we're teaching in error. We're, the, the community itself is self-correcting if we're actually involved in the community. What we think about God, how we feel about God, how we relate with God, all is exposed. Number four, 
a God-centered commitment to God's word. Know what I said, a God-centered commitment to God's word. Not just a commitment to God's word because you can be in love with God's word and not love God. Jesus actually says this in, in the Gospel of John to the Pharisees. These Pharisees, these teachers of law, they study the scriptures because in them they think they have life, but they fail to come to me. This is supposed to lead us to God. And so one of the number one questions you must ask every time you open up God's word before you say, what does this mean to me, or is this relevant to me, or what does this whatever have to do with my life, you should ask, what does this tell me about what God is like? You have to ask yourself that every time you read the Bible. What does this teach me about God's heart, what he likes, what he hates, what he's doing, what he will do, what he's done, how he feels towards me, how he feels about others? You have to ask with, you have to study God's word with an eye towards God-centeredness. And only until you do that, then you'll know who you are. And you'll be like Jesus. It all stems and overflows like a fountain from that center. Number five, and this is a sneaky one that you may not expect. This is the fifth essential, if you actually want to know the true biblical God intimately, is apply God's word in real life. What do I mean by that? When you try to apply God's word in real life, it will regularly expose gaps and unbelief in your heart. Areas of your heart that are not aligned with God's heart or who God is. Like if you show a vengefulness or unmerciful spirit towards other, that shows and demonstrates at some level you don't know how merciful God is. And in that moment of humility and vulnerability, you have an option where your pride can rise up and say, no, 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 that's not me. I'm good. Other people are the problem. Or you can humble yourself and realize, God, I don't see you rightly. I don't see myself rightly. And in that moment of humility and vulnerability, the Holy Spirit can rush upon you and start the rewiring process of your heart and soul to see God rightly and see yourself rightly. But it comes in, in the furnace of affliction and failure when you're real time trying to apply God's word. That's why a, a monastic monk who long term stays away from society could never know God that intimately. You have to see God's word applied in the real time in life, in the busyness and the messiness and then the mission and that's when you start really realizing who you really believe God to be like many of you have gone through job training or training in school and in it you learn concepts by watching tutorial videos of this is what you do when this happens but all of us know here that you only truly know something when you have to be thrown in the water and you either sink or swim right? Then that's when the opportunity happens, when the knowledge transitions from theoretical to experiential, then you actually know it. I dare say that all the pastors at our church who have rigorous theological education, we're probably not as sharp as we were when, you, when we first graduated school. Like our Greek and Hebrew, our exegetical tools probably are not as good, except Scott and Ross. They've kept up with it. But even though our theology and we knew the quotes and we knew the books probably quicker than we do now, I would dare say we know God more intimately because we've lived more life. We've suffered much more over the last five and a half years. We've been in the trenches more and we've experienced God and we emerged with more of God in it. You have to know God in the trenches. That's why you can't merely be academic. So those are four essentials or five essentials you need if you want to know God truly. So here's a call. 
as we enter into this series. I want to call all of us to commit ourselves to the lifelong pursuit of knowing God intimately. Not the God you want him to be, but the God who he actually is and let him be who he is in a pursuit to know this God, not just academically or theoretically, but experientially, knowing and encountering God. Maybe you pursued him at some time in your past, but sometime you got stagnant. You're like, yeah, God, I got that. I know that. I've read a book. I know stuff about God. I know all that Bible stuff. Or perhaps there have been other pursuits that have raised up to the place of supremacy and first in your life that you want to know that person or you want to know that thing or that sport or that financial situation more than you know God. I want to call you to read this Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24 with me. And I want to ask you to commit to making this an anthem of your life, one of the great anthems of your life. Would you read this out loud? Thus says the Lord, Is that your boast? I mean, all of us here are constantly trying to find something to find identity in. Oh, so-and-so, that person is the realtor, or that person is the super mom, or that person is really good looking, or that person is really gifted in this way or that way. All of us are trying to find something to find identity and boast in. And let it be said that your greatest boast, your greatest singular ambition and passion in life is that you know God intimately. Is that your great ambition in life, to know God more than you know anybody else or anything else and enjoy him more than you know or enjoy anybody or anything else? Make Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24 an anthem of your life. And if that's not true of your life, just tell God he already knows you don't. He already knows he's not that. Just say, God, I don't really want you as my greatest desire in life. I want other things. Be that for me, God. Transform, renovate my heart. So that is the primary desire that drives all other desires and orients all other aspects of my life more than my sports or my work or school or family. Everything is oriented around knowing you intimately. Let us give ourselves to knowing this God because he has made himself known and knowable through great pains to himself. And he already wants you. He wants you to know him. And with all this, I realize I just, just said a lot to you. We got the incomprehensibility of God. We got all our hurdles. We got the finite trying to send the infinite. We got the baggage and our sin and all the other stuff making it hard. And so you could feel despairing. What are we to do? But here's, the, here's more good news. Let me end with this. God knows you before you know him. Here's the foundation that you could ever be held up and secure when you feel like sinking. The incomprehensibility of knowing God intimately that he actually first knows you. Let me speak this verse over you. Psalm 139 over you. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. 
You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand, a blessing upon my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. God knows you like that. Nobody knows you like that. You don't even know yourself like that. God knows you like that. Let me share a final quote from J.I. Packer. This is one of the most beautiful things. It's long, but it's worth every second of it, okay? What matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis, the fact that I know God, but the larger fact that, which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palms of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. And knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good, there is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me, listen, is utterly realistic. Based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me. So that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way I am so often disillusioned about myself. There is certainly great cause for humility in the thought that he sees all the twisted things about me that my fellow humans do not see. And that he sees more corruption in me than that which I see in myself. There is, however, equal great incentive to worship and love God in the thought that for some unfathomable reason, he wants me as his friend and desires to be my friend and has given his son to die for me in order to realize this purpose. We cannot work these thoughts out here, but merely to mention them is enough to show how much it means to know, not merely that we know God, but that he knows us. Was that worth including that whole thing? Praise the Lord. So now we're gonna transition to a time of prayer. I'm gonna welcome the, the band. We're gonna do something different during this series on encountering God because we wanna avoid the divorce of intellect and knowing something and feeling and experiencing and living something. We wanna bring them together. We're gonna end each of these sermons with a meditative time to pray a scripture or a truth over our heart, asking God to light these truths on fire by the Holy Spirit so that we can actually know God and that it actually transforms us in the way we live. I wanna pray and I want you to pray Paul's words in Ephesians chapter one. So it's gonna be up there and then I'm gonna change the words to make it more personal. Ephesians 1.17. I remember I, I was taught to pray this verse almost 18 years ago and I've been praying it ever since and it's been one of my, my rocks and anchors. I keep asking that the Father, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him better. You guys know you have eyes in your heart? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so light shines in, think 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 and Genesis 1, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people, holy people. So now look at the next slide. I want you to pray for the next few minutes. Make it personal. Glorious Father, I ask that you may give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you so that I may know you better. Enlighten the eyes of my heart, my darkened heart. Give me light, shine, Holy Spirit, so that I may see you for who you really are, 
So will you start praying this? And then in a minute, we're gonna turn this to the next slide and we're gonna pray for those around us. We're gonna pray that would give them, eventually, it's the same thing, just different pronouns, okay? That same heart. Okay, so would you just pray for the next few minutes as, as Dale prays, please pray this.